This is Football. I'm Kevin Carr. Great show today. Seth Walter, analytics expert at ESPN, joins me to give you the numbers you need to know. Information packed going into this weekend's matchups. I also make a pick in that segment. And then Patrick Doherty from NBC joins me. Awesome segment uh, where we basically BS about the season that was. Um, talk about what he learned about football through fantasy in 2023, which was not strictly a fantasy segment at all. We basically just talked about the trends of the year, uh, what we saw, what we need to know about this weekend, a lot of Mahomes talk, um, all that. So tons of info in both segments. Let's get to it. Here's Seth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more More than than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, Seth Walters here, analytics specialist. Specialist? Is that a good word? That used to be my official title. It's not anymore. Really? Yeah, no joke. What is it now, senior specialist? I think it's just writer. Writer. Wow. At ESPN, um, one of my favorite guests of this year. We we had you on uh, earlier this season after Josh Allen, and that was a big call. Did we put Seth before or after? What are people tuning in for, Seth or Josh? And I really, uh, ever since, every time I talk to Josh, he says, God, I really got upstaged by Seth Walter. And I think that's uh, it's important to kind of know your limitations. That's Josh Allen's growth is knowing his limitations, that he is the second best guest on that episode. What's going on, man? How, how have you viewed this NFL season? You Has it been like, I, I don't know, I know it's a big question. You can take it everywhere, anywhere you want. But like the, the dominant theme of the season has been what? You know what I think is that the dominant theme of this season, it was pretty chalky. Like I know people people say every year, what a crazy year. Or like, this is so wild. And we've had some ascending teams and and Baltimore, I think, especially like took that leap. And obviously Detroit is still here and they took a little leap. But like most of the teams that we thought were going to be good going into the year were good. And then, you know, teams have moved around. But I don't think it usually happens that way where we get that many teams to just sort of follow like like we thought it was going to be. And anybody who failed, it was like Joe Burrow gets hurt twice. Right. right. We, we understand uh, yeah. that. God bless the Eagles who, <laughs> who completely went against trend and just completely collapsed in the second half of the season despite having all of the ingredients they had last year. Thank God for that variety. Uh, God bless Nick Sirianni. Um, so we're going to do – a number, a stat that that describes or blows our mind about the top four teams left in these playoffs. And what's funny to me is that Howie Roseman years ago, and I swear to you, I think the first thing we talked about in this conversation, the first time I ever met him, I swear to you, I think the first thing we talked about was trading for D'Amico Ryans. That's how old I am. 
I was I was young at this point. I was like 24, 25. But we were talking about D'Amico Ryans as a fit and how oftentimes a guy who becomes expendable in another scheme, and that's that's a value. It's not because he's old. It's not because he's bad. It's because literally they were just changing. That was happening in Houston. We had a long philosophical discussion about it. It was terrific. But now D'Amico Ryans is one of the best coaches in football, and we're all going to die soon. Um, but the reason I bring it up is that he mentioned that one of the things he does is he thinks that the final four teams are a snapshot of where the league is. And so they ran a report of height, weight, speed, um, college, uh, you know, do they have five special teams guys who are just, you know, core special teamers and they pay them more money, like just run the data on all the four teams because they're typically the four best teams. And there's a little bit of luck involved. What happens on Sunday? It could be one bounce, could be one penalty, but um, you get a pretty good, you know, let's make sure we're not missing something with the elite elite. So I feel like it's a good snapshot. And certainly this year um, with the four teams, you could argue about the Lions and their defense or whatever, but this has been a special rebuild. And so it's a completely different category of team. We will start with the Detroit Lions, the team that's stealing all of our hearts. Their number one stat, Seth Walter. Oh man, this is my meanest one, you know, it's uh, Oh no. Yeah. Well, Okay. With, well, it's funny you 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 teed it up that way because I do think that there, if you look at kind of the units across all of these teams, which are all good teams, but there's one unit that really stands out, and that's Detroit's pass defense as as being yes. a weakness. My stat though is, is is sort of a positive spin on it, which is that Aiden Hutchinson is a player that I have been like pretty pretty down on. I think relative to most people for the yeah. majority of his career. He had a 13% pass rush win rate this year in the regular season. He that's probably underrating him because he gets I think he makes a lot of he's he is a high effort player, so he stays with yeah. it. But that's he doesn't win a lot quickly. But he's at 29% in the postseason. He has his sacks have come over the last four games, really. His sacks are just have exploded. And it makes me think. In this matchup where you have the number one passing offense against a team with a clear weakness in passing defense, the if Detroit is going to win, Aiden Hutchinson is going to have a day. And I think that he is just so crucial to their chances going forward. Wow. So Aiden Hutchinson is lapping the rest of his teammates in pressures this year. Lapping. And a lot, he's really the only guy... I'm a big believer and maybe it's just napkin science or maybe I'm, I'm just oversimplifying it, but like you look at, and, and it changes over the course of the year. And I, you know, earlier in the season, I would say, all right, well, which teams have three guys with over 30 pressures, four guys with over 20 pressures, that kind of thing. And they some due to health, due to talent, do whatever, due to scheme. Aiden Hutchinson was like at the top of the league, you know, top five in pressures for a lot of the season and nobody else was even close. And so I thought I, my feeling on this, and you probably don't have data about this because I'm just about to be anti-science. My feeling is you can get away with that in the playoffs because it's not about consistent, you know, depth at pass rush. And it's about one player making a play on third and eight with the game on the line. Am I, am I nuts? that It just seems like that level of pass rush depth, which matters in week 11, doesn't matter over one game because literally like a defensive end, one pass rusher can take over one playoff game. It's a small think, sample size. I guess that's what the point I'm making. It's a small sample size. Aiden Hutchinson might be him. Well, I think, no, but I think we're saying like kind of the same thing, which is yeah. like, uh, in ba- on balance, not a great situation. You would rather have a bunch of, a bunch of guys, but he gives you a chance to, like you yep. say, have a big game, come up with a couple of big plays in at big moments. And that can be enough because, because it is a small sample size. It's like, it's like you're, you know, you're whatever, you're playing blackjack, the odds are stacked against you, but you only need, but it's just one hand. So, so whatever. Uh, and, and you just hit on 17, Brad Holmes, <laughs> just hit on 17. Just see what happens. It's one hand. Exactly. So I, I'm, I think I'm kind of with you. And so like, that's why I say yeah. like, if they win, I would be surprised if they win and we look back and we're like, wow, you know, they won and Hutchinson just kind of zeroed out in that game. He's also not, you know, he, it works for them that he plays not opposite Trent Williams. So yes. that helps. Like you can sort of feel like, oh, maybe they would have had a good pass rush on the other side. He's going to be a race anyway. So yeah, that, that helps. All right. Let's do Let's, let's flip it. Niners. 
What do you got? To me, the Niners are sort of the inverse where, okay, you look at the four main units of a football team, right? Passing offense, rushing offense, passing defense, rushing defense. The Niners are the only team in the NFL that are top five in the most important three, which would be in order, passing offense, passing defense, rushing offense. They're top five in all three of those. They're number one in passing offense. Like it's just the best possible way to build, to construct a team. And I think that, it it just demonstrates like okay how good yeah. they are that i'm, I'm going to combine two stats that are sort of yeah please here. the other thing is people are freaking out about you know okay debo samuel goes out last week oh wow they have big splits deep with debo samuel's hurt i mean to me it just speaks to their strength he's their fourth best weapon and everyone's everyone's going going crazy like it's absurd and i'm saying this in the context of like brandon Ayuk's season Mm-hmm. is so underrated and incredible. Yes. This guy was, okay, the sixth best yards per route run season since 2007 this year. Lord, okay. Like, outrageous. He had the same open score as C.D. Lamb, uh, yeah. talking about, right? And I think on a per route basis probably was better than C.D. Lamb. And the only reason why you have Lamb at so many more yards is because the 49ers were just winning so often. They didn't have to, they didn't have to keep passing the ball. And so Ayuk had I do the, I do this big story every year top 100 I do a 100 player MVP ballot I did it last week and I had Ayuk at 15 and I think there's no reason why he's like he's absolutely that high and I, to me that just speaks to like the plethora of riches that this team has and the reason why they are so dangerous like I didn't even say the words Christian McCaffrey or George Kittle or Brock Purdy and they're all on the same side of the can I ask a stupid question? So I was in the wide receiver metrics on ESPN the other day, and Ayuk is, as you said, number one most open guy in football. Debo Samuel is the most yards after catch guy in football, and it's not even close. It's like whatever 10 percentage points, whatever you want to call it, the, the rating of 10 more than, than second best in the NFL. How much more valuable is it to, like, if you're drafting a guy, do you want, is it more valuable statistically to be the open guy or the yak guy? The open guy. It's not that close even. Um, and it's the skill that we find to be, it's a skill that like in the moment correlates strongest with yards per route run, which I think is the best kind of uh, box score metric, but it's also the most stable. So the guys that are open consistently are open year after year. Now, to be fair to Debo here, like, he basically broke the scale of the yak metric like a couple years ago. <laughs> like no one has a good yak score ever is because Debo's score a couple years ago was just so beyond what what anyone else has done, and he, <laughs> he performed so highly that yeah. Like, okay, I mean this guy is repeating that skill. I, I'm not. I don't want to take away from him, but just in general, if you're you're drafting a player, you're looking for you're looking at two guys of what you would consider to be relatively equal strength. I would want the guy that gets open. It's it's the most important skill. They coach their guys. Obviously, you draft a certain amount of it, but they coach their guys, and not to toot my own horn, I did a piece about George Kittle a couple years ago, and literally uh, Embry, the tight ends coach at that point, coached George Kittle and was just like, hey, stay in bounds and just run it, guys, and like good things will happen. And Kittle was like, what do you – this is – you're being an idiot. Like I'm, I'm, they're not just going to get on my way. And then he just started doing it. And then he was just like, Oh, this like one out of every three times, this just works. Like, I'm not going to go out of bounds. I'm going to run right at these guys. And sometimes they'll fall down. They'll just miss the tackle, they'll arm tackle, whatever. And like good things happen. And it's coach there. And I think it's a mixture of talent and scheme and obviously coaching point, but like you have to draft, like you're not gonna be able to do that if you have a bunch of you know five, six, hundred and eighty pound guys. That's that's not gonna happen. They have to be able to 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 keep moving their legs and all that stuff. But like it's an actual philosophy, and it's really incredible to see what uh, Debo and Kittle and those guys can be able to do from the yak side and the open side. And you combine those two, and guess what you have? Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's a beautiful thing. Um. All right, let's go to the other game. Uh, the Chiefs. I don't. I'm so confused by this. I'm literally, I'm doing everything I've ever wanted to avoid, always wanted to avoid, which is picking based on name brand. Like that's, that's what I'm doing here. Um, Help me on the chiefs. Okay. So this is not my number. This is the obvious number, but it's an important starting point. 
5.9%. Is it wins? Is it wins? Is it, as Kirk Ferentz says, wins per game? That's right. That's right. Playoff wins. Playoff wins too. Playoff wins per game. Yep. Uh, Okay. 5.9% drop rate. That's worse than the league. Okay. I think that fits the narrative. We can do better than that, right? We look at catch score would be like the more advanced way to to look at that, right? It's not because a drop is just a really obvious pass, but that doesn't cover like the breadth of all conceivable passes. Okay. They have a 22 catch score across the team, worse than the NFL. It's like matching all the narrative there checks out, right? To me, the number that really stands out is this. If when a quarterback drops back to pass, there's three type of types of plays that can unfold. They can pass the ball, they can get sacked, or they can scramble. If we just look at times when the quarterbacks pass the ball, Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. ranked 18th in QBR this season. Not good. The reason why their offense has still been able to be as successful as it is, is because what he does in the other two phases, sacks and scrambles. So he's an elite scrambler. He's hyper efficient, second most EPA on total EPA on scrambles. And he doesn't take sacks, which is a quarterback skill. And he's done it for years and years. Josh Allen and Mahomes had kind of weirdly similar seasons in this regard. So Mahomes' QBR on just those two outcomes, so scrambles and sacks, was 83, which ranked second, only behind Allen. I wanted Josh Dobbs ranked third. His was 25. So, like, what I'm saying is every other quarterback in the league, and this is this is like the right, such a flaw of passer rating, right? We're just yeah, yeah, yeah. playing at the passes. And what I'm saying is you have these other two phases, for lack of a better word, and Mahomes and Allen are so excellent at those other things. Like, don't let that be hidden, that, that he does that so well. And here's where I think it can be, comes to your name brand thing, but I think it, it gives maybe some optimism, which is this is new. Last year, when we talk about Mahomes on passing plays, literally he passed the ball plays. He was first in QBR that year. First. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it sounds hand-weavy. It sounds wishy-washy to be like, I don't know. I mean, he could just pull out some magic. But I think it's, it's totally fair to say... We know he has it. We know he has it in him. The situation is yeah. different, but not that different from last year. And if he could find some sort of middle ground to pair with this, the best defense he's ever had, that of course they could beat the, the Ravens. Of course they could. It's driving me nuts. I'm sure you have this because you have a bunch of fancy stats that it's hard for. I was looking at Lamar yesterday and his numbers under pressure. His numbers under pressure are very, very, very good. A lot better than Mahomes's. What we don't have though is just like, did you make a good play? Like, did you, like, I, I know it's hard to quantify, but like, did you get nine yards when you were under pressure? And like, the, the, the whether that's the legs or the throwaways or like, I mean, I, I'm sure maybe success rate helps on this, but like, I wish this is a watch the film argument here for me, but like, I just, I was on PFF yesterday just looking at the pressure numbers and I'm just like, this doesn't tell the story. This only tells the story when they complete a pass from the pocket or throw a pass from the pocket and just completely different or set, take a sack, obviously. But like, did you extend the play? Did you get out of it? I mean, like, this is a, that's why you may, marry it. But like, I just, I wish there was a way to, to incorporate legs when you're under pressure. That's, I think that's that, my, that's that my matters take. totally. That, that absolutely that's my take. matters. Hey, um, I have a question off, off of the drop thing you mentioned. I saw somebody say this yesterday. Don't remember who it was. Congratulations to them. Great point. The take the drops don't matter because it's still a low probability event. If you're saying 6% leads the league, 94% of the time, it's not a drop. Am I, is that person off, off base? Uh, is that, is it actually matter? I mean, like I saw the stat that Mahomes led the league in, in dropped yardage basically. And Lamar was actually up there yeah, as well. Um, what's the, the quantifiable impact of, of having a receiving quarter that just drops passes? I think it, it does matter. I like, I understand the, the, the point and that's where I guess I would point to Firstly, the difference between 6% and 2%, well, 4% of plays, you're talking like every 25 play was a completion versus, versus not. Football's a pretty small, smarging game. That's not yeah. nothing. Um, we're talking like, okay, that's uh, <clears throat> that's actually a completion and a half per game maybe, but but 
on top of that, I think that's where I would point back to catch score, right? Let's evaluate, yeah. okay, fine. The 6% of, of plays, we're only talking about a percentage of the plays that even could be drops or even close enough, but it extends the other way too. What were the balls that were uh, not, they were 50-50, but some teams are catching them yeah. and some teams are not. It's not a drop if you don't make that play or uh, like, I don't know, I think about Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett all the time. And there's all these passes that no one would blink an eye if they'd gone incomplete, yeah. but they didn't. And so it matters on the other end of the spectrum too. And so that's why I would like bring it back. Like, okay, let's evaluate every one of these throws in terms of the possibility of catching it. And when we do that, Kansas city is, it is a huge problem. So I would say there is some validity to saying like drop rate is overselling it, but I, I don't think it is true to, or I do think it is also true that Kansas city has a true, true issue here. So there's an old political uh, truism, which is that if you're, if you're laid off, the unemployment rate isn't 5%, it's 100%. And with drop rate, it's like, Stefan Diggs' drop rate is 100% right now because he dropped the biggest pass in like a decade in Buffalo. So, I, I you know, it's like, it's a total perception type of stat, you know? If MVS, let me tell you something. I was just going to... I was going to say, if MVS catches that pass against Philadelphia or like no one would notice some of the other warts. It's only, there are guys who will have, I remember Amari Cooper had the drops his last year, according to PFF in, uh, in Dallas. And and I was like, Oh man, he drops all these passes. Then he got to, uh, excuse me in, in Vegas. He had, he had the drops and he gets to Dallas and he doesn't have the drops anymore. That could be catchable ball. That could just be luck. I mean, like you just have 10 lapses in a concentration and it's completely different. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated thing. And the chiefs seem to be doing fine. Um, are you wearing a hat that says big catches last week? Exactly right. right. Uh, are you wearing a hat that says analytics? I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, got to okay. you know represent. Is there any reason for that? Well, I like the hat. Is is what? Yeah. No, but like, what is the hat? Did you order a hat that says analytics? I did. It's like this random internet company. It's like a, a basketball like <laughs> uh, thing, and yeah, um, yeah. I like I like the hat. Got to rep the team. The team being analytics. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Been analytics been, there's, been some, there's been some fights on the internet. You know, we gotta stand strong. I have seen that. I'm 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 taking no sides. Um, Sloan didn't. I'm not even going to Sloan this year. So, like, you know, maybe I'll just be on team team never go for two because of that. Hey, um, all right, let's get to the Ravens before we for BS for a second. If you look at look at McVay Shanahan offenses. And how they performed that that played against the Lions, uh, played against the Ravens this season. They had an EPA per play of 0.08. So good offenses, obviously. We know that. But when they played the Ravens minus 0.06. Okay. So big swing, big swing. Now part of that is like, well, duh, right? They're a good offense. I mean, they're a good defense. Of course they're gonna be worse, but we also know, like, by and large. Offense drives games, and the fact that this defense can have such an impact on this tree of offenses that have been so successful throughout the league, to me, really notable, and it's super notable if this ends up being Baltimore-San Francisco in the Super Bowl. So why, like, okay, so that's like, leads the obvious question, like, okay, what are they doing? And that's where I'm not smart enough, so I got to ask other people. And what I what I hear is like whole confluence of things, but they are super yeah. well built. The, the things I hear are like elite. It was described to me as elite preparation. So in these, mm-hmm. in like a Shanahan offense, you have all these different wrinkles or alignment wrinkles and Baltimore will handle each of those differently. They have their own sets of rules for very specific differences. They have smart players who can make those changes and they don't bust. And so they just don't allow that major problem. They play a lot of too high, so they're not going to get these massive explosive plays against them. They also leverage-wise defend the, the middle of the field with authority, also because they have great players in the middle of the field. So they like they're built up them up the middle, and that's unideal for the McVay Shanahan offenses. And to me, that all makes sense. And I think that's a really potentially a really important thing if we come up to a, a Baltimore San Francisco Super Bowl because offense dominates and if they can have yep. if they can be a counter to that, I think that 
that absolutely gives me a chance, gives them a chance. And the way that they played against Houston, I felt like also gave even more confidence that that, that that holds water. Do you make picks by the way? Are you going to make picks on this podcast? Yeah, I may, uh, Am I going? Well, I'm still torn on the AFC game. I mean, me uh, I am back and forth. You know, I think like I, Kansas city not being as good against the run. That doesn't, it seems pretty unideal against Baltimore, but I also buy into everything. I, like one of the stats I gave you about Kansas City, that those all to me, I think there's a lot to like there. And I, I don't know. I'm back and I'm back and forth and back and forth there. This Joe Tooney thing is frightening because that's that's it's a huge thing with their interior pressure. Yeah, I mean, uh, their interior of the, of the Chiefs line has been such a stalwart. Yep. For not just this year, for a long. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. What? Wait, wait, tell me what you think. You're also still torn on that. I have to I'm make going a, Niners right tomorrow. I'm going Niners and I'm going Ravens. Okay. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like picking against the Chiefs, but I'm going Ravens. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm going nice. Niners and I will pick one of the two teams. <laughs> I will say when you mentioned elite preparation. No one has accused this podcast of ever having elite preparation, but you, Seth Walder, had elite preparation. Thanks so much. Check him out. What when's the column running? Your pick? When's your pick running? Oh, uh, I think it was come out on Friday. All right, ESPN.com. Um, who was the most surprising guy on your hundred person MVP ballot? That that, that made the list altogether, or where? Yeah, the yeah, list? the guy where you're just like, whoa, I can't believe I this guy's on the list. Okay. This is a, that's a good question. I'm going to scan the list right this second. Yeah, please, please. please. And someone that made the list that I couldn't believe made the list. This is hard because I like all these players. So I, okay. I hear on me. This is the answer to sort of the answer. Garrett Wilson. I ranked Um, really high 45th. Um, which I think is really high for the production he had. And the reason why I did it was, you know, I, I put this list together. I look at a million things, but I believe like strongly in talking to people in the league and, and colleagues and whatever they are, they're all super smart and crowdsourcing is super valuable. And so I send a draft list out to, to folks in the league and, and ask them, tell me what they think. And they just kind of give unprompted and multiple people gave me, I had, I had Wilson off the list at, at the start. And then I, and I had multiple people say, you need Garrett Wilson on here and you need him on here. Mm. high." That oh, wow. you work at his actual level of play. It he was one of the best wide receivers in the league this season. It's just, you know, Tim Boyle and co aren't going to get him the ball, but like actually his level of play was exceptionally high. And so and and then and then it was backed up. Like his open score yeah. was really high, and so I was like, okay, this this is all checking out. And I do think that we wide receivers in a in a we're playing with terrible quarterbacks. Like of course they're hidden, and that to me I think was really interesting, and it'll be really interesting next year. Seth Walter is not hidden. We're getting him the ball. Thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Thanks, Kevin. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesar's can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. 21 and up must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, 
Call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans, Massachusetts. If you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Patrick Doherty's here, uh, NBC Sports, Roto World Podcast. I got to tell you, one of my favorite podcasts, despite I, the fact I do not play fantasy football, I don't understand a lot of the kind of research that you guys are doing. I do. I have dabbled in DFS, but I'm still a degenerate golf gambler. That's it. And sometimes I'll apply. I, I'm, I'm, I'd like to be a sharp. I would like to like get into being a sharp. And I don't know. What's your advice on that? Being a sharp, that's like the final Warcraft level or whatever. Like, I don't, I'm not a gamer. But... I don't, I want to go, I want to skip all the steps in between because I don't ever gamble on football, but then I'd like to just immediately become like a guy who, who moves the lines. Well, there's a convergence of our two worlds because it seems like the final level of sharpdom in DFS is becoming a golf sharp. And like all like my best friends yeah. who are like DFS experts it is like the final boss. They all end up in golf and they all end up just like totally miserable. Like, Oh, so-and-so got DQ'd or like yeah. so-and-so withdrew Friday morning. Like, like the bank is coming to take my house now. And it seems very miserable. The Hideki Matsuyama withdrawal at the players a couple of years ago <laughs> is the reason you, do you see a family? Say the this? reason you're still working. You see, yeah. No, I mean, like, do you, my family has, I, t- Teddy is a figment of my imagination. That whole, that whole thing can just, just came content. totally undone three, three years ago. Uh, everything has been, has been solely unraveling since. Um, I will say uh, with golf, it's, it's, I, I you know what? I, I'm, it, it is the most miserable existence in the it world. Is. And here's why, because, I'm in like a high stakes pool every every major championship. When I do poorly, I get so mad that I can't watch Sunday. Okay. There's been a handful of times, including Shane Lowry at the British Open a couple of years ago, I where remember, I'm in actually. contention for unbelievable amounts of money. And I get so nervous I can't watch. So I'm explaining this to my wife, and she's like, So <laughs> you just don't watch golf because you're either too upset. Or too nervous, and I was like, "Yes, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am." That is correct. My favorite thing in the world to watch outside of football, and I do not watch it because I'm an emotional wreck in either direction. Say, it's absolutely a great sign of being well balanced that uh, the thing you love the most, you create conditions where you can't even watch it. And uh, but by the way, I really I appreciate your kind words for our show. We try to thread many needles where we are a fantasy yes. show, but I think you can listen to our show even if you're not a fantasy player. You know, and we, we also have specific recaps of guys who watch the games and then, which we obviously you're not going to watch the games ever, but like the guys who you have on will watch the games and then they'll tell you about it. So you get a nice little recap of games that maybe I'm not locked in on. And also through the prism of, and I think about this a lot, like guys who have stakes and things, whether it's fantasy, whether it's gambling, whether it's fandom, will watch it in a different way. And like, I've always said that about like, for me, like the university of Miami, I, I care so much about it that I will, there are times in NFL sports where I will, um, you know, I'll be like, you know what? I, I, I've watched enough Bryce Young. I'm good on this. 
but like with Miami, it's like, oh my God, like we just scheduled South Carolina for 2025. I got to check out Shane Beamer's system right now, or else I'm going to be, you know, I don't want to be flat footed in September of 2025. I got to check out Beamer right now. And so just a little bit different. And like people who have actual stakes, like in fantasy, you just get it through a different prism. You do. And but you, man, you're, you're prompting so many thoughts. I know you're a Miami fanatic. <laughs> I'm a Mizzou fanatic. Do you think it's better? So Mizzou is, being a Mizzou fan is literally the most miserable thing in existence. Yeah. Do you think it's worse to be Mizzou where we've never known glory and we get like kind of close, but like the rug gets pulled immediately always? Or do you think it's worse to be Miami where you've known so much glory yeah. and how you're fighting to return to yeah. glory? So it's worse because the ecosystem set up is that our rivals are Florida and Florida State, who also have the capability to do very well um all the history is just like miami can't be quote unquote back until they win a national championship and so that's like the problem if we win the acc this year which we might it does not matter that that is not a thing that any miami fan wants to be a part of it's true. so I mean, it's, uh, it is definitely i'm way more miserable than you are so mizzou's back after we beat a florida state team playing like yeah. it's third string 14 to 3 in the cotton Bowl. we're back baby we're exactly right back. exactly right um, all right, let's get to, we're going to do, speaking of fantasy, we're going to do the three things that you learned about football from fantasy this year. Um, I, as I said, I do not play fantasy, but I have great respect for it. That's a lie. I don't have great respect for it, but it's just something you say when, you know, when we're doing this. No, um, it is the lowest form of, uh, of human communication, I would say. It is. Human communication is just fantasy football. Um, no, but uh, I, I do think you can glean some stuff, stuff from it. Uh, your number one thing you learned about football in 2023 from fantasy football, Patrick. It, the feeling was acute of scoring being down in the NFL this year when you played fantasy football. Where some years there are like 50 wide receivers in any given week. You could rank like inside the top 30. And this year, receiver would go like maybe 24 or 28 deep where like you have Jacoby Myers on your team. It's like, oh man, I got someone really good to stick in there this week in my wide receiver <laughs> three spot. And I was wondering if it was just my imagination, but it was not. 2.38 touchdowns per game. That was the lowest since 2006. Uh, half of those were scored by Duran Bland, too. So it didn't even really help <laughs> in fantasy at all. Uh, I've been under 220 passing yards per game each of the past two seasons. Before that, it had been 2009. I think like in fantasy football and just watching football, we all got used to like the Brady, Breeze, Manning kind of like slot machine yeah. era where every game, you know, 650 combined passing yards. And that just isn't yeah. happening where the Hall of Famers all retired. And it turns out like it, it wasn't just guaranteed that it was going to be passing slot machine forever. And there's a lot of great young quarterbacks, uh, but they haven't quite stepped up to that level with a few exceptions, of course. And, you know, defenses also remember that safeties exist. And it's a lot different right now uh, with the passing environment and their ergo and fantasy. It's amazing to me to look at like old pro football reference box scores. And it's like games you don't even remember is like the marquee games. It'll be like the early game on divisional Saturday was like 43 to 40. And you're just like, what was this? And it was like, it was like Drew Brees would, would throw for 790 yards in, in the wild card game. And it would just be completely uncommented on. Be like, all right, all right, just, they lost my 10 points yeah, yeah. You, the, you're you're referring i think almost to a specific game where kind of ushered in that era i think it was that that 2011 12 divisional round game between the saints and 49ers and jim harbaugh's yeah. first playoff game and like i think people still weren't really sold on if they were for real it was alex smith that year still yep and that game like went totally supernova and then it was yeah. like oh man like this is just amazing that even like the harbaugh 49ers can just do this and, I, and then at every quarterback from then on um, had a higher passer rating than Dan Marino. <laughs> every single quarterback yes. for the next decade. Yes. It was just like, just Marino just dropping down. Like everybody, like the worst quarterback you've ever seen on a Monday night had Phil Simms' career passer rating. Yeah, and, and, Josh Freeman, jo like Josh Freeman in that Monday night game had like, would have been like the best quarterback of 1987. And that's why you get now, not to be ageist at all, but you get a Zoomer <laughs> will pull up john elway's pro football reference be like this guy's a plumber like this guy stinks or like terry bradshaw terry bradshaw maybe we could debate that one like because he had more interceptions and touchdowns some years uh terry bradshaw very good different era of course but like we did we've been so spoiled that, name, uh, it. Were, name, name it name it name it yes they're literally they're chiefs the, the, the thing about if you watch old football so i just read the uh, mark kriegel nameth book and they were talking about different games so i watched a couple of them 
the quarterback position was almost like point guard in basketball where you just kind of, you kind of knew what the plays were. You kind of knew where everybody was going, but the, the appearance of it was really, they were just like, we're just going to chuck this down. And our guys kind of running towards, they didn't view it as plays. No, no. And like, even if you look at it, <clears throat> like uh, Paul Brown basically um, invented a bunch of professionalization with, with, you know, telling assistants they couldn't work at grocery stores in the off season and stuff like that was, that was, I'm serious. That was part of it. Right. But then like um, in, uh, in the, the Colts uh, giants book that was by Mark Bowden, I think they were like, Raymond Barry like invented tape study in like 1964. Like, you know, and so like, it wasn't like they had, and I don't think people realize this. Like you, there was no way to do anything other than be like, all right, man, you're just going to run the straight route now. And you're going to run the post route. Like it really is. And like, it was a totally different game. And like speaking of Raymond Barry, there's a great, uh, in, in the George Plumpton book, they talk about how the middle of the field back then in the sixties and seventies was called the pit. (laughs) Because if you went into the pit once, you never returned. The death you zone. Just never, you were just like, I remember the one time I did a crossing route and I missed seven years. <laughs> and I'm now, right? Yeah, not seven weeks, seven and, years. Yeah, it was just you're out for seven years. And, and that's like, that was what football was. And so now it's like, all right, well, the, you know, you can throw outside the numbers now or you can throw outside the way. Like Jared Goff, his rating in the first in the middle short is like 115 and middle intermediate is like 125 in an era where like terry bradshaw could not throw in either of those short short areas it just was not possible if he wanted his receiver to play let me cook and um, (laughs) and yeah it's like we've gotten so spoiled by the past It, 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 it goes viral like two or three times a year i've noticed on chief's twitter that john elway wasn't good I'm like, dude, you just don't understand. <laughs> like, it's just like, uh, you, you totally literally, literally had to be there. Yeah, you really you literally did. Literally had to be there. Just like Yadier Molina in the Hall of Fame. Um, he's got to go in the Hall of Fame, folks. With the decrease in scoring, do you do you change your approach at all on how to identify um, players that are fantasy values? Well, you 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 can lower your standards where you don't have to think about upside as much and. You're just like, I'm just banking these touches no matter what. And Devin right. Singletary wouldn't have been this kind of player before the season because uh, we didn't know he was going to get the kind of touches. But, like, midseason, you'd be like, oh, whatever. Devin Singletary, I don't think he's that good. <laughs> I know he's getting the ball 20 times. He's in my lineup. Like, you, you just can't worry about his upside as much because you've got to bank something. You have to establish some kind of floor. And so, like, yeah, you lower your standards. Where Like, the golden years – you know, like, whatever, I'll put this guy in my, like, even if he gets six targets a game, three of them are probably going to gain 31 yards. He's going to score two touchdowns. Yeah. And now it's just like, I just want this guy to get the ball. And that's definitely. I just want the guy to play. Yeah. I just got to be active. Exactly. Active exactly. 46. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's it's almost like the opposite of what happened with quarterback where, like, Nick Wright has made the point on this show, I believe, um, probably his own show, too, where, like, the Caleb Williams thing is a direct reflection of like, you have to have a Mahomes or else you just can't win. Like you have to have Lamar Mahomes or you literally just can't win. And it's the exact opposite. Like it used to be that case in fantasy where it was like, if you didn't have Drew Brees to Michael Thomas, you were just not done. You were were done. And now it's like, what if we had the three worst players on the Atlanta Falcons? If Mahomes beats Lamar, by the way, it might get to where you just literally have to have Patrick Mahomes. And if you don't, you are done. Because uh, he keeps beating. It would go from you have to have a uh, Mahomes to you have to have Mahomes. Yes, you just have to have Mahomes. Otherwise, there's no point in even playing. Um, so. um, all right, what's what's number two? The, this, you know, I think we're fellow travelers on this one, I think. Uh, it's been going uh, viral all year on fantasy Twitter, on just regular football Twitter. Where I, I think the systems, as they are known, have gotten too big to fail. The offensive systems, oh. like the cult of the play caller, were like, Listen, Kyle Shanahan, he can have a system. Andy Reid is allowed to have a system. <laughs> but like, is it truly necessary for Arthur Smith to have a system? Like, did Pete Carmichael need a system? Like, the Saints were still just doing the exact same Sean Payton thing instead of changing. And it's like, for, it took them half the year to start force-feeding the ball to Chris Olave. Like, they're still doing the Taysom Hill thing. No offense to Taysom. But, like, we need – there's been a little too much – I would still start my like if I was starting a team from scratch and picking what yeah. kind of head coach I wanted. Of course, I would pick a head coach who was his own offensive play caller. I do think that's the platonic ideal, but it's gone too far where it's almost like it's viewed as like you're just screwed if you don't have that. 
even though you know Dan Campbell exists, John Harbaugh exists, right? And I think the cult of the offensive system, at the expense of just getting the ball to good players, like it's not just Bijan Robinson who wasn't getting the ball. Like the Saints had like a six week period where they just like weren't targeting Chris Olave, which you might notice, you know, watching as a not might you notice <laughs> as a as a real fan, you really notice in fantasy <laughs> fantasy football like oh they should probably target Chris Olave more. Yeah, and they did down the stretch finally and he went bonkers yeah but it just not listen of course you're gonna have a system but they're worried i think so much about players executing the system yeah that they don't worry enough about uh what does this guy do well uh can you just yes get him the ball so here's what i think is the overarching point we should take away from it is like guys like arthur smith you're not allowed to trust the process if you if you're if you have not established that you know what the process should be. But you can't just be like things will open up for Kyle Pitts, things will open up for Bijan Robinson. It's like no, you just do it, just do it first. Don't like what you have to in order for me to to like I don't understand the Arthur Smith thing. No, because I really do. I've spent a little bit of time with Arthur Smith. It's almost like, and I've never seen this from a coach before. It's almost like. And I don't believe he's like this. He's a funny, engaging guy. He did those hits on McAfee. It's almost like he – so you know how there's people – I think we've all seen it, especially in politics, where journalists or just thinkers will uh, change their identities based on the people yelling at them? You know, you just oh, like yeah, see yeah. people yeah, 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 and you're yeah. just like, this person has been yelled at by 80 people, the same 80 people for three years, and now they're a different person. And I'm voting Arthur for Smith, Ross Perot now. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. It's just like, or they just become so entrenched in certain positions because they've been so yelled at and they can't, they can't get off of it. And, and, and they're just, they're locked into this. And I almost felt like Arthur Smith felt that feeding Kyle Pitts or feeding Bijan Robinson was giving in to this blob instead of the thing that we should do. Now we're wrong as a media conglomerate all the time all the time but like sometimes it's really simple the lions are eating because they drafted well use the middle of the field and they have dan campbell saying i love you guys like that's those are the three main ingredients and like there's an honesty there and an authenticity but really like if you had to boil it down it's dan campbell saying i love you guys and like there were guys who weren't that bought into it and they're no longer there and i don't think i know that when i, I was there doing that piece a couple years ago like campbell like I were some of the older like Matt Patricia linebackers, were they into him doing up downs at <laughs> way into Dan Campbell doing up downs at, 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 at training camp? I don't think they were that jacked. I don't think they were pumped and jacked on that. And those guys were were, you know, they left. They weren't they weren't a part of it. You know, some people were just not not gonna be into it. Um, but overall, I think everybody was rowing in the right direction. Meanwhile, like the saints and the falcons the whole thing was just like we're gonna we're literally gonna overcomplicate this so that you can't understand why we're doing it no it's that was the most frustrating part of the arthur smith thing too and with art you know the defense is always well he never had a quarterback and i'm getting deep into projection here but i would have to assume with the falcons and the quarterback you know they took a skilled player in the top eight three straight years that doesn't happen unless the coach is telling the front office like i know we don't have a quarterback but i can get this guy the ball just trust yes. me. Like we're gonna we're gonna scheme around not having a quarterback by getting weapons and getting them the ball, and then just somehow not even accomplishing that. And my, my final thought on the systems too, is I feel like even the good systems are getting like a little too intricate, like a little too elaborate. With like you see the 49ers and the Dolphins, like one guy gets hurt, like they can be really good yeah. players, but like the 49ers seem like they had no idea what to do for a quarter and a half after got Debo got hurt in the divisional round. Like guys, like you still have Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. Like it's totally fine. Like you're fine. Like you, the system I should be able to it, withstand the loss of one player. Yeah. So this happened with um, when Justin Jefferson went down, and they were talking about who was going to replace him and who whatever. And then I, I actually didn't follow this. It was, it was like a week where it was like, no, all of this is going to KJ Osborne because he knows. <laughs> how to play a certain position yes, yes. and like nothing there can be no other adaptations to it KOC is an awesome coach well, by the way but it was like the, the way that was reported was so funny because it was like no no no, you guys don't get it only kj osborne can get these targets you, you make an amazing point there because i was going to shout out koc as one of the coaches yes. who does get it and he was yes. the vikings are clearly an offense where the focus every week is 
who are our best active players this week and how do yes. we get them the ball? And he did an amazing job of that where his, his system withstood hit after hit. They almost made the playoffs with like four different quarterbacks. And like Kevin O'Connell, I'm glad you mentioned it was someone I wanted to shout out. Like clearly he has a system, but his system is adaptable. And he, his system too is uh, who is awesome on my team and how do I get them the ball? So it's funny because Justin Jefferson was on my pod through two years ago before KSC came on. Uh, he was the head coach, but they had not done a training camp together. And he was basically like, I heard that Justin said, I heard that like I'll be in the Cooper cup role. So I ran that past KOC <laughs> and he did not, he was just like, not really. We're just not going to have like a Cooper cup role. Like we're not, we don't have, cause he obviously came from LA, yeah, but it's yeah. like, it's not like, Oh, we have to have you in the Cooper cup role. And it's just very funny when it's like, Oh, he's going to be my blank. And it's like, well, what if we had a different team? What if we just <laughs> didn't recreate the, the LA Rams right here on, on the lakes of Minnetonka? We create the Justin Jefferson role. This seemed like a very good profitable idea is. And, uh... um, all right. Number three. Number three, this isn't like a unique observation. Uh, this is certainly not... Uh, were the first two unique? Were they, were they, they, they were supposed to be unique? Yeah, I'm saying yeah. this, this one too is like, it's not just applicable to fantasy. <laughs> this one's also bad. Yeah. This one is also bad. It's, but if your quarterback <laughs> is not an athlete, your quarterback is oh, no God. longer really a quarterback. And people, Correct. everyone is complaining these days that rushing quarterback rushing is just too valuable in fantasy. That it's a cheat code if the quarterback runs... But I mean, it's starting to reflect real life, is it not? Where, like, the number I, I was going back before we went on the air. Uh, Tom Brady's career high for rushing in a season was 110 in 2002. Um, <laughs> Peyton Manning, your guy, never rushed for more than 50 yards after 2002. This guy's two, and like, probably and the two, all, all of them were on that one boot, yeah, exactly. at the goal line. Exactly. The naked the boot, we started thing. celebrating at the yes. two. That was, that was his entire career rushing garbage. Literally, maybe the two greatest players to ever play the position, and they just didn't run. But in this era, it's just so everyone complains about it, but it's reflecting real life and fantasy where the, the number of pure statues in the top 10 in fantasy this year just didn't exist. It was Kirk Cousins, and then he got hurt, and beyond Kirk. Everyone, even Brock Purdy, you know, is kind of an athlete out there. And like the, the statue era, like things ebb and flow, but like why would the statue era ever come back? It's like the kind of thing you can't really unlearn. Like why would it, why would we not have an elite athlete or at least a, like a top shelf athlete, at least like a CJ Stroud level athlete at quarterback? Like how would you ever unlearn yeah. that once you've seen that? And uh, I, I, it's not a trend. It's not going away quarterbacks are now elite athletes and not just elite throwers completely agree and there's a couple things number one it was so first of all actually a funny story so i was asking a gm last two summers ago before tyler van dyke announced he sucked (laughs) that um i was like what's up with tvd because we're going through some of the quarterbacks and he was like well you have to have a plan for him because he can't move and it's like, wait, just the opposite of like what it was five years ago, where it's like, ooh, we have a Russian quarterback. Like, I, we have to have a, we have to figure yes. out what we're going to do with them. And it's like, no, no, package. he actually can't. He's going to have, <laughs> he's going to have a statue. He's going to be a statue back there. So you need to put some bells and whistles on him because all I can throw is play quarterback from 1998. <laughs> completely different sport. I also think it's like a self fulfilling thing where it's like, who the quarterback is is determined by like middle school coaches. Right. And like it all becomes so like there's some frankly a lot. There was a lot of racism baked in there. There's a lot of like coaches sons baked in there. But then there's a lot of like who should be the quarterback. And a lot of times it was the six five guy who could just stand back who was a baseball pitcher or baseball third baseman who would just stand back there and throw darts. And now it's like once that opens up and you say, you know what, this guy can make plays with his legs or arms or this guy can be like, you know, Joe Burrow can get you a first down as reliable as anybody in this sport. Um, with his legs and, and he was a basketball player and he was doing all this stuff. And urban Meyer famously was like, we, he said something like we, uh, Herb. <laughs> oh no, oh no. Urban Meyer said something like we, we, we offered him because he was like on a state championship t- game in basketball or something. Like they just wanted to come. They were, he was doing the thing where like, we were only offering competitors. <laughs> that was the thing. You only offer competitors. <laughs> Um, he said something like that at the, uh, at one of the bowl practices, I actually heard it like a year ago when I was doing a piece on Burrow. They, they, Urban was like, well, you know, we were on the fence, but then he made the state championship <laughs> game in basketball and we decided that, that he was our guy, but like that didn't have, like, I'm trying, you know, 
there were guys in 1997 who was not was John Elway. I mean, probably John Elway. But he was a baseball player, but like Elway you know. was a, he was he was a pretty great athlete. But um, yeah, I know. Just and I'm it, just trying to think of old old big quarterbacks. Elway was an amazing athlete. I don't know why well, I mean, I think I feel like the like the last time we really got into the, Kyle Bowler is just never happening again. Like, Ky- like, like it didn't happen at the time. No, it did Kyle not. Bowler exactly. did not happen in the era of Kyle. That Bowler. was the beginning of the end, I think, for the statue. And too, like, look at the guys who've been drafted, like Mac Jones. This, this, he's struggling. He's not like a statue's statue, uh, but he's not a dual threat. He's not really mobile. Even Kenny Pickett's like an okay athlete, but he's only okay. Well, I'd be like the bars being like like risen every year too, or you can't even just be like okay. Or even like the Joe Burrow model might not be good enough in five years, where like he can scramble for first downs. You might have to be like legitimately run for first downs, and it's like a different kind of football, but it, it's. It's like the shift in baseball. It's like limiting through the third order in baseball. It might be frustrating, but after you learn that lesson, you can't unlearn it. Like, cause you know, it's yeah. the best way that it's the best process. And that the genie is not going back in the bottle with athletic quarterbacks. You need Mahomes. You do. <laughs> you don't need a Mahomes. You <laughs> need Mahomes. Mahomes. Also, like, I wonder if like, you know, Mahomes' speed is just fast enough. Like, I wonder if there's just going to be a defense that just throws the fastest guy. Like just throw nine dbs out there just be like let's just see what happens it's like a db you can't spy. run on us patrick mahomes and so, yeah dbs but just eight dbs spying on i don't know why I mean, you and i think we have all sorts of intrusive football thoughts while you were talking i just had the thought patrick mahomes is the rusher russell wilson thought he was and i have no idea why mm. i needed to share that but like that same kind of speed i like that what do you think is up with mahomes' speed because uh, he, no one's ever caught him. He's never been tackled from behind, even once. He always. It's funny because so much. I've talked about how much of so much of his stuff is from baseball. A lot of his runs are like the guy who's like in a pickle, just comfortable. Well, no, just like just comfortable enough to like walk into second. Oh, but yeah. if it was any any closer, he'd have to slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, just like yeah. high, uh, weird high steps. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. weird short high steps. Yes. He's got that thing going a lot, and like he always runs. I honestly feel like the the. He he looks like he's hurt constantly, and so he, I feel like some of it is like okie doke stuff, just like just just pulling the wool over our eyes. I think there's some of that. Um, I just I don't know. Like it, it uh, he's never I, he's never been tackled. No, that's my thing. No, he's, never, he's, he's never been tackled. I mean, I seriously, in my mind's eye, cannot picture Patrick Mahomes getting tackled. Like it's the same run every single time also so tarico was on the show last week i'm sure you listened just locked in on your colleague mike tarico but he was saying he has a great phrase for it which was that he doesn't run in straight lines like everybody else in football literally ever circles never he just runs in this little circle this little like half circle from where he is like he peels out and then he just goes straight out of bounds 11 yards downfield he's not a dual threat he's an elliptical threat the most elliptical running wow. style you'll ever see a quarterback. And Unlike Russell Wilson, who's been tackled every single what, time. Russ was genuinely fast for a few years, but uh, what was that one really infamous Russ run where he was almost like like doing like what do you like high steps? Uh, yes. Or, well, the thing with Russell is that you could tell when he got the he would like do he would like kind of grip the ball in a way to be like okay here we go here comes the russell wilson rush whereas mahomes looks like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world than scampering for a first down oh. that's the difference and he saves it's like he's really just like all right i guess i'll do this again and he also like after a run he'll just like quickly run the next play by being like a little embarrassed that he did whereas russell is just like this is like posing for the camera and stuff it's a completely different experience you are so right and my very final thought i don't know why i'm circling back to the the, the fantasy and like the dual threats were like no please to a tongue of aloha had an amazing year passing the ball, but he ended up falling outside the top 10 in fantasy. He was one of the only guys really? who did not run. No, he just, but the, the passing oh, of course yeah. cratered a little bit in the second half of the season, but he did. He, I think it was under a hundred yards rushing or right around. He just didn't run. And he ended up not even being a great fantasy quarterback this year. And it's like, it's not coming back. The genie is not going back in the bottom. I don't know this answer. Is McDaniel a good or bad fantasy coach? He's and just in the sense, it seems like it's a little unpredictable, but then the numbers are obviously so good that uh, everybody's eating. But I just don't know. He's don't know good. How do that. But he's got that problem where I think where it's like it's too elaborate. It's too intricate where he needs yeah. his system to be more. What's the what are the crypto guys say? Like anti-fragile, uh, like the second like Devin Achan got Wonderful. hurt. It's like no one could score fantasy points because they couldn't gain yards anymore. Other than like Tyreek Hill, deep bombs and 
So when, when everyone is healthy and the system is humming, everyone is scoring fantasy points. You know, they were scoring 30 to 35 points every game. I think the second Devin Achan, one guy, the number two running back got injured. It's like the whole thing just didn't work anymore. And it's a very important player, a very unique player to get hurt. So it's not some normal loss, but it shouldn't have been like a system wrecking loss. And that's kind of what it felt like with the Dolphins. That once they lost Achan, it just wasn't ever the same again. And like where they've got these systems have to be more resilient. And like, it's like, it's they like spend all summer like building it in a hundred different parts. And if one part breaks, like, ah, well, never mind. The system can't be employed anymore. And they need to be, I hate, I seriously hate this kind of word, but they have to be more anti-fragile. And, uh... Roto Pat is anti-fragile. Check him out on the Roto World football show. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you so much, Kevin. Kevin.